everybody, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. My name's Amy Barno, and I'm a surfer and an entrepreneur. And my podcast is a series of weekly conversations with creatives, entrepreneurs, thinkers and dreamers who also happen to be surfers. We'll be exploring um, how surfing has shaped their lives and lifestyle and how it's also shaped their career choices and business decisions. Um, today is my first episode, um, so please bear with me. Please, beg, I beg your pardon for any kind of technical glitches or weird sound effects and the fact that my voice has probably gone up an octave during the um, during the whole conversation. I was quite intimidated by the recording and um, I just wanted to let you know that it's not a sort of common thing that's going to happen in the long term, but just to bear with me, be patient and it'll get better in time. Anyway, back to today's episode. Today's episode is a conversation with Colin Kate. And Colin uh, runs two um, international school camps, uh, one based on Bali, where he teaches international school students how to surf, and the second one um, in the Kruger National Park in South Africa. So we'll be exploring exactly what his business does um, and how it participates in um, environmental um, management and conservation. And we'll also be talking about his um, project this summer, which was to um, to do the M2O, the Molokai to Oahu uh, paddleboard race. Um, so he'll be talking about his preparation for the race. Um, as the recording was made in June, um, we didn't have the results, but uh, we do now, and he actually made it. So we'll be able to sort of you'll find useful insight on how to prepare for such a race. And then uh, we'll also be talking about um, his home spot in Bali, and uh, you might get some good insight on where to go to avoid the crowds. Anyway, without further ado, um, please welcome Colin Kate. Hi, Colin, and welcome to the Ocean Riders podcast. How are you? Hi, Amy. Yeah, all good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. What are you doing right now? Um, well, I'm kind of just chilling in Bali on a Friday afternoon, but um, yeah, been been really busy with all sorts of stuff. So yeah, all good. Great. So um, uh, do you think you could introduce yourself briefly to the listeners so we can get to know you a bit better? Yeah, sure. So my name is uh, Colin Kate. I'm a uh, a former international school teacher and um, yeah I've been surfing and coaching surfing for a very long time like over 20 years and um, yeah absolutely absolutely love it and also love sharing it with 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 young kids and 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 teaching kids to surf and that's pretty much what what the the outdoor education business is all about as well that's great that's great so where are you from originally so from from South Africa and right. um, but Lived oh, lived all over the place. Uh, I, I left South Africa in, in the year 2000. Worked in England mm -hmm. for four years as a um, as a surf coach. Managed a surf school there, and also worked as a pro lifeguard for the RNLI. Oh wow! Uh, after England, moved to the Philippines um, to to teach, and worked at, at the British International School in Manila. After the Philipp uh, that was five years in the Philippines. After the Philippines was Bali, uh, Green School Bali for six years, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, finished finished up there in uh, 
Wow. And then, and since then, so you've you started your own business then as a, um, you've created the International Schools uh, Surf Camp. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. So that started as a, as a part-time venture while I was teaching at the British School Manila already. So what I used to do is, um, because you know teachers get good holidays, in, mm-hmm. in my holiday times, especially over the summer breaks and, and, and December breaks, I used to uh, run the, uh, the, the surf camps for, for, for as holiday camps, as summer camps. Okay. And uh, sort of started doing that um, in 2008 while I was in the Philippines and continued to, to do that. Um, while in Bali as well, mm-hmm. and uh, I started with with you know the schools I worked at, and then gradually um, sort of word got out and uh, it got more popular, and I got in touch with few um, other teachers and colleagues who were teaching at other uh, international schools, and and uh, yeah, uh, through a, through a friend who worked at an international school in Hong Kong, he wanted to book a camp with me, okay. and um, sort of sort of started snowballing from there I guess oh that's really good that's so cool because so do you work mostly during the school holidays or do you um do you have camps uh, during school time as well how does that work out so while, 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 while I was a full-time international school teacher in, in, in the Philippines and in Bali um I it was only during during the, the holidays mm-hmm. and then um you know I started uh, getting the, well, which which I call a good problem. Whereas what, I had to be at work, but there was a surf camp booked at the same time, so I couldn't be at two places at the same time. Plus, I, I didn't just want to get anyone to run the surf camp because you know of certain standards and and safety issues and all that yeah. kind of stuff that I expected to be on the camp. So it was sort of a gradual progression from um, being. Um, uh, uh, you know, starting off as a PE teacher, going towards an outdoor education teacher at the Green School, and then from there going into into running this uh, uh, as a as a full time project. So developing right. developing it as an international school outdoor education program, but specialising in, in in surfing. Okay, so so um, have you got a team with you working with you? Well, we're 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 a small company, so it's, it's just Lorraine, my wife, and and, and I. We we run all the camps, right. and then of course in, in the Philippines and in Bali, we have local partners, local surf coaches, and and surf camps that we partner with and the, and that we run the, the camps with. Okay, that's really interesting. So, you, how many instructors do you have per per student? Yeah, so um, our SOP is one instructor to three students, and um, you know we like to keep that like that because you know because of safety standards and 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 quality practice and 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 making sure that you know kids get a really good experience yeah um what we also do um uh we combine the surfing with um other things as well other outdoor um education uh projects such as uh, service learning projects so we do a reef check project there's an organization called reef check indonesia right. and so, she, so so kids go snorkeling and then they collect data on the state of the reefs oh that's fantastic and, i bet they really enjoy that yeah yeah so it's 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 a, so you know for, for kids to come on a week and surf every day non-stop for a week although you know we do get schools where they just want specialist surf camps and that's great but Sometimes, you know, especially for, for, for kids who've never surfed before, it can be, extre- you know, very tiring. Yeah. So, it, it, and, and schools also expect, a, um, you know, depending on, on, on the school, they also expect some kind of service project involved in sort of, sort of a community project or something like that. So, so, we certainly do that as well. And so, apart from Reef Check, we also have a few other projects such as turtle conservation projects, uh, a local ca- cashew factory project where 
the uh, local Indonesians have set up, uh, together with a social entrepreneur, uh, set up this cashew factory and started making product and exporting it overseas and empowering mm -hmm. the local community and setting up, you, you know, sort of um, like little uh, local community centers where mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, young kids can get educated and so, you know, sort of really cool community stuff. Yeah, the, the students actually get to participate in actually giving back to the communities that you you work with as well. That's a really Absolutely. nice sort of circular That's project. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, maybe to, to go back in history a bit, um, uh, what kind of a background are you from? Did your parents, were your parents interested in, in surfing in the first place or... Are you near the coast? Oh, no, 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 they're absolutely useless in the water. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, actually, I actually grew up inland in, in the bush in South Africa okay. near the Kruger Park. So my upbringing was actually, um, you know, with amongst uh, lions, elephants and leopards. And I wanted right. to be a game ranger when I was a kid. Right, um, okay. I only got exposed to the ocean um, sort of at, at, at eight, eight, nine years old, we used to go down to the Natal South Coast in South Africa and I started bodyboarding down there when I was a kid. And it was only when I went to university when I actually moved down to the coast when I, when I, when I started surfing all the time. Wow, that's a really yep. lovely story. So, <laughs> so when you were in South Africa, what did you study? What? Okay, yes, yeah, so I did a sports science degree in Port Elizabeth in South Africa, University of Port Elizabeth, and I, I actually did my teacher training to become a physical education teacher in the UK, uh, at Chichester College, I actually, uh, I actually um, qualified for a, a, a what do you call it? Uh, not a bursary, uh, but it, it was it was a government-sponsored thing. I had to go right. through this whole interview and selection process, and I actually got selected to be on this program. So, so the UK government. Um, sponsored me to become a physical education teacher, which was pretty cool. And I had some, some relatively good experience teaching in, in, in England. I say mm -hmm. relative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, anyone anyone, who, anyone who, who's taught in a state school in England would tell you it's, it's, it's yeah, it's quite an interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've qualified as a, as a surf coach, SE Level 2, and I was a lifeguard instructor in South Africa. And um, so combine that with, with you know, my, 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 my teaching and coaching qualifications, you know, sort of set me up to, to, to get this going. Yeah. And so does the ASI um, qualification enable you to be a surf instructor everywhere in the world? Or I think ASI has gone global now, I think. And okay. I think there are two main, main organizations. There's ASI, who stands for Academy of Surf Instructors. And they, they, they are based in Australia, but they run their programs. I know they're in Europe. They're in, in Asia. Obviously, in Australia, they, they're global, so that, that's a global recognized qualification. And I think there's also um, ISA, International Surfing Association, or something like that. So they're two mm -hmm. main bodies where, where one could qualify to become a certified uh, coach. Right, right. And does it take a long time to qualify? I mean, is there a lot of training, or, or is the exam so ruthless that you know it's very difficult to pass? How do they oh, no, select no. students? No, the you know the level one course, especially if you, you know if, if you're a surfer and 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 you've been surfing for a while, mm -hmm. the level one course is, is is pretty straightforward. The little level two course a little bit more difficult, but it doesn't take long at all. And and um and the course is running all the time, so it's it's actually really really easy to do. Is you know as long as you committed and focused, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, so you also you were a teacher at Green School, and that's where um, that's where we met. Um, that's right. What was what was your what, what could you uh, take from your experience at uh, at Green School? Did you have a good time? 
I, I, I really enjoyed Green School in the sense that I had the freedom to create my own outdoor education program. So I started, as I said, I started off as a PE teacher, then, and then I was employed as, as the PE and sports coordinator. Okay. And what was great about Green School, especially with uh, um, the management that came in in my sort of second, third year, Mm-hmm. And, and into my fourth was um, we had a program called Jalan Jalan Wednesday. So the whole of Wednesday morning, um, kids could, could do all sorts of different projects and, and go out and even leave campus and get involved in all sorts of community stuff. And mm-hmm. outdoor education was part of that Jalan Jalan program as well. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was able to set up programs where kids not only could go surfing, but we did life-saving programs, we did hiking programs, we did... Um, uh, service learning programs, um, any anything that the island had to offer, whether it was in the jungle, with yeah, even orienteering and trekking and abseiling, and um, we had all sorts of different mm-hmm. stuff, rafting as well on the Ayung River, um, mm-hmm. and then different teachers. I would coordinate a program where different teachers would take different groups uh, to go and do these 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 things. And of course, you know, I did all the surfing, life saving stuff, and that happened every single Wednesday. So so it was a nice sort of break in the week and yeah really enjoyable yeah, yeah I bet the kids loved that um so where's the best place in the world that your job has taken you to well in, ter- in terms of the job it's, it's Bali in the Philippines that's that's where we work that's where we coach and then and then of course Bali's a springboard to the rest of Indonesia and you know as, as, as most people know you know f- all the way f- to Mentawai's North Sumatra, all the way through to East Indonesia. There's so many different places to explore, so many different waves. It's, it's just fantastic. And then, of course, Philippines still has a lot of untapped um, places to surf, and especially in typhoon season, mm-hmm. there's some great ways to be found. So, so yeah, so those are, those are two those are great places, places to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what's it like being a, a managing director of a company? Is it um, Does it get lonely sometimes or...? Are you are you well supported with your working as a as a team with your wife? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, attest the marriage. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah and I I I love. I mean, I, look, the what I love about it is you you have freedom and mm-hmm. and that you're not a, you're not you're your own boss. You, yeah. You're not, you're not to the nine to five, but with that free freedom comes huge responsibility. So if if you're going to pay the bills, if you're going to make ends meet, that's totally up to you. Yeah. So it's totally up to you to make a, make it a success and make it work. Whereas if you're employed, I mean, no matter what you do, at the end of the day, that paycheck's going to be there. Whereas if you know what I like about what I do, you know, the harder you work and the the more you put into it, the more you can get out of it. Yeah, you know? so the, the more rewarding the, it is. But the stress factor is there as well, of course. You know, when you're responsible for everything from from legal stuff to risk management to you know. Um, uh, insurance to marketing, you know, you dealing with so many different things, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand that. And so, how do you cope with the stress? Do you sort of blow off the stress by surfing, or or is that too much like work? How do how do you sort of juggle with that? Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, there's there's a big difference between coaching surfing, especially you know the the beginner stuff which we do, mm-hmm. which is mainly what we do, and then just going off and surfing by yourself. So yeah, definitely, I definitely, you know. Do to uh, cool off by surfing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So before we dive headfirst into the surfing part of the interview, do you think we could rewind a little and talk about your other venture, which is a safari camp in South Africa called the International Schools Safari Camp? Can you tell us a bit more about it? 
Uh, Craig, yes. Yeah, so, so you know, um, I had I've had ICC as an international school surf camp since two thousand and eight, and this was this was sort of a spin off of that as an assister company, whereas it was also outdoor education for uh, international school student groups. But you know, this was this is now not surfing, but the safari setting. So ICC, I just made it international school safari camp. So it's still our company. It's I call it our sister company, you know. But it it's it's based in in South Africa in the Kruger National Park, mm-hmm. and uh, my sister is actually the program manager on uh, on on these camps, and um, so 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 yeah, what we what we do with these um, apart from the regular safari stuff where uh, students, you know, especially students from from Asia, are able to experience the African wilderness and go on safari drives where they get to see things like lions and elephants and leopards and all those great stuff. There's there's also a service learning component and um, two things that we do is one, we connect with a local community outreach project, you know, with villages outside the, the, the park where students actually get to see what real poverty is and actually get involved in helping the community and how they are also empowered by by NGOs and people working with them and 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 getting local communities employed in in the tourism and safari industry so it's really yeah. important for for students to understand that but but one thing that's really close to my heart is the is the anti rhino uh, service project so because we deal with international school students mainly from asia and uh, a lot of the international school students come from you know very very um uh, um, I can't I say you know wealthy and 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 um, uh, background, backgrounds where where the parents are high up in industry and business. I want to expose these students to the life of a of a ranger out in the bush, putting their lives at risk, protecting these rhino, and for these students to understand the the, the real threats that and and the seriousness of 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 the anti rhino poaching um, campaign and and what's really going on. So what this does is we introduce students to the rangers who do um, the patrols and run the, the, the rhino poaching campaign in the Kruger Park, the, the anti-rhino poaching unit as they call them, and they actually get to do some training with them. So they go running with them, they do some combat training with them, and they get to and they get to um, observe a simulation where they would go out in the field and, you know, um, uh, inverted commas, arrest uh, a potential poacher. So that they actually see what really happens. And then what I'm hoping is that they would experience this and then also see rhino in the wild and then go back to their home countries where there's a where, where, where the root of the yes. problem is. So in Asia, in, in in China, in Vietnam, in these Asian countries where they're from, that's where the demand for this rhino horn is. And hopefully in, in, in when they get into the working world and generations to come, that's with with this exposure, that's where we could start tackling the problem at a, at a root that's, level. That's you know such a I mean? good idea, actually. And to, to make things change in the first place, the best way is to educate. Is it through education and awareness and and especially with the children so that's such a good initiative yeah exactly. excellent so um and and so what is the name of the of the um the ngo that you're supporting who we work with in kruger park is south african national parks so it's their anti-rhino poaching unit and there's also uh, an ngo called stop rhino poaching.com right. who we also in, uh, involved with and and they're doing some fantastic work as well okay and i i saw that you that the kids also learn some survival skills that's really interesting so what what's that about 
Yes, so so another aspect to these trips is um, uh, many international schools do a thing called the Duke of Edinburgh International Award where they have to go on overnight trails or expeditions. So they can do that in the park as well where rangers take them on foot and they go for three nights or two nights or whatever the, the, the trip may be and, and they go on foot and they do a, a 20K walk over the three days and they actually experience the whole bush on foot and they camp out at night, no electricity, and they actually get to understand the bush at a far more intimate level than you would when you're on a safari mm. vehicle. And they get to learn things about, you know, what sort of plants you can eat or can't eat, how you can collect water when you need to survive, That's you know, all really that kind of stuff. That's really interesting. That's so It must be such fun. I guess, I guess they come back completely transformed. They, they're not the same kids at the end. Oh, absolutely. So I guess moving on, we could um, we could talk about um, um, your relationship with surfing and um um, do you remember what you felt when you caught your first wave? Yeah, I think I think every every surfer does, right? Um, I st- I, you know, back in my day, shows my age. There were no surf school, so if you if you want to learn to surf, you just you get a boy, you paddle out. There are no nine foot soft tops where you can you know, and someone guiding you and and someone telling you where to paddle, how to paddle, how to lie on the board. So I just I just got a six ten old beat up shortboard and. This was down in Port Elizabeth as well, and the water's freezing, the wind's howling, and, you know, just out there cooking it, you know, and all, going on all over the show. And then, you know, eventually just through sheer will and just, you know, not stopping, I eventually managed to, you know, catch a wave and stand up and, and get on the face. And, yeah, of course, you know, that, that I'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and you also have a – you're a real sort of accomplished waterman because you also have a real talent for tandem surfing. Um can you tell us a bit more about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I've, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of noticed that I think it, it started in, in Hawaii and I, I've always watched it on uh, on YouTube videos, how, you know, uh, the guys in Hawaii, how they do, do tandem mm-hmm. surfing over there. And I figured, oh, I could do that. And I got a I got a, a, a 10-foot sup. And um, so, we, you know, we don't have proper pa- uh, tandem boards and barley, anything like that. And uh, just, uh, you know, because Lorraine surfs as well, um, I just thought, no, that will be pretty straightforward. And, um, and uh, yeah, just, just started practicing. And, and, um, and, t- and from my life-saving days in terms of, you know, when you rescue someone and the way they lie with you on the board and how you paddle and then catching a wave together and from there trying to practice different lifts and that. And, yeah, it, it was a sort of a super fun thing to do when the waves are really yeah, small. Yeah, and I believe you made the most romantic wedding proposal ever. Could you could you tell us the story? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah um, Lorraine and I had been tandem surfing for you know quite a while, about a year, and um, we had done quite a few lifts and practiced a few a few lifts. And I and one and so what I did was I, I got the ring and I put it in my board oh. short pocket. And um, luckily, it was one of those in, with the yeah. zip, you know, so you can just zip it in. So, you know, fingers, you know, safe and st- stays in there. And um, I said to her, okay, today we're going to try a brand new lift. Um, so, all I want you to do is, as we catch the wave, instead of, you know, sort of leaning into me, how, you know, so, so, so that we are as one, how we do our normal lifts, what I want you to do is, I want you to go down and, and, and step back, and then I will turn in, in, in front of you. So, so like oh, she was like, oh, this is kind of weird. How's, how's, how's that going to work? So I so, said, so, 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 yeah, all I want you to do is I just want you to turn around and face me. And, and that's it. It's like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> and so we, yeah, 
we we uh, in the in the first attempt it didn't work. It's like oh, okay, no, no, we got to try this again. <laughs> then managed to catch a really nice long ride, and 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 I said, okay, turn around. She turned around, and I had her hands, and then I literally went down on oh, one knee so while uh, while we were riding this wave, and I and I asked her, and then at first she was she she was all confused. She didn't understand what was going on, and then the wave was already starting to fade out. It's like, uh, come on, you know, I need an answer before this wave fades out. <laughs> That's a good way to get a quick answer. <laughs> And then eventually, yeah, eventually, she, you know, she realized what was going on, yeah, and uh, and yeah, we got, we got some nice photos of it as well. Oh, so, yeah, that was that's a lovely cool. memory. That's great. <laughs> so, um, so right now, um, uh, you're training to do the M2O Paddleboard World Championship. Now, that's that's pretty heavy stuff. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's something I've always wanted to do, and um, I, um looked at the you know the qualifying criteria and one of the one of the criteria was that you you had to be able to paddle uh, 10 miles or 16 kilometers under two hours and I figured you know I could I could do that and um, I started training and doing long distance paddles and eventually I started doing some time trials and uh, I managed to do that and I and I, and I, I submitted the times and 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 submitted the entries and and and, and managed to wow. qualify so so are you paddling and, standing up or are you kneeling on the on a board I do prone I'm, I'm right. lying down right. yeah okay uh, yeah I mean I, I do I do stand up paddle paddling occasionally but yeah I'm much better prone because back in my lifeguard days as well that's what I used to do right. you know look prone paddle boards and um so yes, yeah, so so when I when I when I qualified, I was extremely happy, but I was also kind of like O S H one, like <laughs> that that means that means some serious serious training now. Yeah, because what? How how long is the race? What, um, so it goes from Molokai to Oahu. Yes, Molokai back. To Oahu. It's uh, it's fifty two kilometers. Wow. Uh, and the channel, the channel, uh, the Kahibi Channel, they call it the Channel of Bones. The reason they call it the Channel of Bones is because so many people have died in uh, in that channel. And uh, you know, the Hawaiians have been navigating that channel, and they've been doing um, open ocean crossings uh, over that channel and all all kinds of craft for for many years. And uh, the M2O World Champs, have, it, it'll be in its twenty, I think, twenty first or twenty second year of running now. And uh, it's quite a hectic channel, and you never know what, what you're going to get in terms of, you know, currents and swell and wind and all that kind of stuff. So, it is a, it is, it is considered the most grueling paddleboard event that there is. Wow. So, um, how many competitors actually get to qualify? Oh, that's a good question. Um, quite, there are quite a few this year because there are quite a few categories. There's stand up, there's prone, there's different categories and craft, and you can also do it in a team, two man and, and three or two person and three person teams. Okay. Um, so, but you're so, going to be doing it on a, on your own. This is a I'm doing it solo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> and and do you get any support? Like, have you got a boat following you, for you know, to give you refreshments or uh, refills of water and keep you hydrated yeah. and food and stuff like that? Yes, but because because it's a it's such a, uh, a potentially dangerous event. Uh, each uh, each paddler has to have a support boat. Okay. And the rules are the support boat's not allowed to come within. I think it's a hundred meters of you. So, so you have a you have your support person on the boat with you know extra water and rehydration salts and bananas and all that kind of stuff, and then what happens is they have to go up ahead and that person has to jump in the water, 
and oh, then wow. you paddle, and as you come past that person in the water, they pass you your, your extra water, you change your water bottle or whatever, and you keep going, and then they have to, you know, swim back to get picked up by the boat. So you, you just to so make. So you need to be at least at least three people to actually. Um, you have to have a team there to to, to do the backup. Yeah, yeah. So Lorraine's gonna be jumping in the water you know, among, <laughs> among the tiger sharks to oh hand my me God. my water. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. So, so what's um, what kind of training do you do? Do you train every day? So yeah, so I, I mean, I, I started training uh, sort of November, December last year, and then I started training seriously in in January when I started doing the time trials to get the qualifying times, and then as soon as I got notified um, in March that I was in, I really stepped up the training. So. Um, yeah, I pretty much train six days a week. Um, I, uh, at the moment, I, I am um, I'm averaging the whole Molokai distance of, of 52 kilometers plus in one week of training. Wow. So it's like, it's like training for a marathon. So you don't actually run the whole marathon to train for the marathon. You sort of build up to it. I um, mean, you couldn't do it. It'll just, you know, take it out of you. So so, 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 now, so now when I do a three-hour surf session, that's just a warm-up. For, <laughs> for, for the paddle train. Oh my god! And so, how long is it? Is it um, are you expected to take to to actually do the crossing? So the best guys do it do it in uh, about five hours. I, th- I think the record's just under five hours. So if you can if you can do it in in six hours, that's considered really really good. They do have a cutoff. So if you if you're not in 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 that sort of port lock area on Oahu, um, which is about uh, 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 about a k from the finish, uh, within eight within eight hours, the the boat has to go and pick you up. So um, I'm hoping to do it sort of in 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 about six six and a half hours. Right, right. And in terms of nutrition, how do you um? Because to train for that kind of event, I guess you have to be squeaky clean in terms of um what you what you eat and how you how you feed your body. What's, have you got a special plan? Yeah. Um, you know, for me, nothing too special because my diet's always been been pretty good. So you know, Lorraine feeds me really well in terms of you know loads of fresh vegetables, and you know, I you know I eat really well. Um, of course, I have to to cut down on my chocolate and uh, addiction and cut down <laughs> and cut down on the beers. So you know, I, I still drink a few beers now and again, but you know, very few. I certainly don't overdo it and. You know, I, I, I eat organic dark chocolate instead of just any rubbish because I just love yeah. chocolate. So, <laughs> but um, nothing too special, but just eat really good food. Of course, no junk food and and, and hydration, hydration salts, loads and loads of water, you know, right. all that kind of stuff. That's really good. That's great. Um, okay, well, um, so where you call home is Bali right now. Where, where's your home spot? So we live we live in Sonur on the east coast. So we surf in the Sonur region and Sarangan area um, most of the time. The Sarangan's home break. Yeah, <laughs> they're great. That's that's great. Have has the um. So last time I was in Sarangan was um in two thousand and um two thousand and fourteen. Have they sort of built up anything along the beach there, or is it still kind of the wilderness? Oh, funny, funny you mentioned that. And uh, unfortunately. Just this year, they've just kicked off all the Warung, the local oh, Warung, no. and all the Warungs are, have been bulldozed down. And in true Bali development fashion, they're now going to set up a, another beach club slash hotel slash whatever. Oh, no. Uh, and all those turtles and everything, what's going to happen to them? 
Oh yeah, I mean, the, you know, the Turtle Sanctuary is still there on 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 the south side of the island, but uh, sorry, the north side of the island. But um, in in terms, yeah, in terms of more development, more trash, more more people, I, I I really don't know. It's really disappointing because you know, as you well know, Bali in terms of its overdevelopment, it's just it's just nonstop. It's relentless. Yeah. And Sarangan used to be one of those places which still had that old Bali feel where you just in the, in the place with nature around your middle of nowhere and a few local warungs. And uh, that's, that seems to be going now as well, which is really disappointing. You see, for us, in terms of our camps, um, Bali uh, is a good destination in terms of North Bali. We couldn't run an international school surf camp or outdoor education program in the south of Bali. There's just too much temptation in terms of, you know, nightclubs and yeah. bars you know, it's yeah. first track, and you you, yeah. you don't want you can't you do. You know, your kids. You know, where your kids stuck in Kuta in the middle of that yeah, kind of exactly. thing. You don't. You can't do an outdoor education program in a in a tourist trap. Yeah. So we work. We we work up in in North Bali, uh, Northwest Bali, and where it's still you know kind of old Bali in terms of rice fields and you know, only limited accommodation, and we we where kids get exposed to nature and, and beaches where there aren't any surf schools or any. So you know major setups and and uh, yeah hopefully hopefully it stays that way up there as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's great. That's that must be such a refreshment to actually be able to go to places that still aren't too built up and and busy because just the whole of the coast uh, along from the south to to even to Tanalot is now full of full of surf schools and and hotels. Oh. It's very very sad. Anyway. Um, that's uh, that's another story. So, yeah. um, so what are the pla- what are your plans um, for the next twelve months? So, um, we 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 we're coming to the end of our season soon. We we got a few camps in June, and then uh, uh, a couple summer camps with Nat Geo student expeditions in July, and then that's that's the sort of the end of our season after the the summer camps, and our season starts again in October. So between between. Um, July and October. So, of course, at the end of July, we're going to Hawaii for the Molokai for the paddle, and then we got some. We we we're going to South Africa for August for some for some safari stuff and and some business as well, just to make sure things are set up for the start of the of the of the of the international school school year again for the safari camps, and then, and then yeah, just some time off, maybe cruising around Mozambique for some surf, and then back. Back in Bali in in September and then yeah start start the season again in October. Wow, that's great. That sounds very exciting. So when when's the so, so the race exactly is in July? Yeah, the, the July twenty ninth. It's always the 29th. last Sunday of July each year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, best of luck for that. Um, Thanks I think I think we've made it. Um, I think we're going to wrap up. Is there anything else that you'd yeah. like to promote or or talk about? Any sort of inspiring books that you're reading at the moment for for training or um, films? Um, or... You know, um, I, I, I think in, in terms of surfing and training, I, I don't really read read many books. Um, I read I read a lot of financial books. <laughs> really. I'm, <laughs> I'm an, I'm, I'm a supposed entrepreneur now, as they say. So, <laughs> I, um, I I think for anyone who has a passion and wants to who wants to, um, to pursue that passion and do their own thing, you have to become financially educated. And I think financial mm-hmm. education is doesn't exist in the school system. It it didn't exist when I was at school, and it certainly doesn't exist in the school system 
as it is, even in, in the international school system. I mean, green schools sort of started touching on it where kids are able to be, be entrepreneurs and start their own little businesses and projects, which is great. But proper financial education doesn't exist. So I started off with reading stuff like Robert Kiyosaki, uh, you know, the rich dad, dad poor dad stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, just a lot of, you know, financial books. So that's kind of what I'm reading at the moment. So and there, there's a lot of good information, a lot of good stuff out there. So, um, I, you know, um, that's what I read and that's what I, I, I recommend people read. So, no, you know, no matter what you want to do or what, what your passion is, whether it's surfing or anything, I think if you, if you read that stuff, it'll start giving you ideas of how you can put that passion into practice. Yeah, that's that's very good advice. Excellent. Well, um, you've been an amazing guest. Thank you for so much, so many stories. It's been so, uh, great to hear hear from you and to hear you hear your voice. Um, and um, uh, so, for the listeners, all the all the details of the show will be in the show notes um, on the OceanRidersPodcast.com. And um, Colin, well, this is a pleasure speaking to you. Um, it was great, and thank you ever so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, Amy. Thanks very much for having me on. And yeah, I think you're doing a fantastic project. And I really hope you get to interview loads of cool people. And I'm sure you will. And all, all the best with it. And yeah, thanks again for having me on. I think it's it's brilliant what you're doing. Awesome stuff. <laughs> thank you very much, Colin. See you soon. Cheers. Thank you. That was a really interesting conversation. Thank you ever so much, Colin, for being part of the show. And thank you for listening uh, to it until the end. Um, I just wanted to let you know that everything that we discussed during the conversation uh, can be found in the show notes, which are available on my website at uh, theoceanriderspodcast.com uh, or on the show notes of the episode on your phone. Um, you can also find um, information to Colin's business and um, uh, the links to the surf camps and the safari camps that he organises and also to the NGO that supports the rhinos um, in South Africa. Anyway, I just wanted to give you a little, little bit of news. Um, Colin made it. He cr managed to cross the Sea of Bones. Um, so congratulations to Colin for that. Um, that wraps things up. Um, I just wanted to thank you all for listening and thank Colin for being my first guest. I'll be back next week with a new episode, a new business owner. And um, until then, enjoy the waves, happy surfing and have fun. See you. Ciao.